Thank you for joining us on Marion Marbles, a podcast brought to you by the Marion County Library System. Together, we will explore the intriguing and mysterious history of Marion County in South Carolina. Hosted by library staff and lovable locals, you will be able to listen in via our website or your favorite listening application. Welcome to the second episode of Marion Marbles, a Marion County Library System podcast that explores the intriguing and mysterious history of Marion County, South Carolina. Today's episode dives into the importance of genealogy and the fascinating stories that are unveiled. By exploring one of Marion County's families, we will see how to use documents and research to discover love, tragedy, and record-breaking happenings. Your host for today's episode is me, Holly, the library archivist. Today's topic is one that I am genuinely excited to share with everyone. How to genealogy. Many people would love to know where their family came from, where their ancestry came from, and which tells them more about themselves. But for many, it's a very daunting task, which it it definitely is. That's not taking it lightly. But it is definitely more than just using Ancestry.com to look at documents and death certificates or birth certificates or military registration cards. While those are vital pieces of how to genealogy, um, they are just a piece of the puzzle. One thing that many people skip over um, would be just looking at newspapers. We have a wonderful collection at the Marion County Library of our two local newspapers, the Marion Star and Mullins Enterprise, and then also when they combined and became one newspaper. But you really need to also expand that, not just local newspapers, and search for relatives' names, not just the one particular person you're researching, because you'll never know when you'll find a connection. Um, State newspapers are a wonderful resource that can tell you plenty about a person. And like I mentioned before on Ancestry, you have plenty of access um, to birth records and death records, military records, marriage documents, and census records. But what do we do with those things once that we have collected them? And that's kind of the questions that we want to look look at. And one thing to keep in mind is birth records and death records are not actually all that old. We did not start recording births and deaths until 1915. So prior to that, the only way we would see records is actually through census records of deaths um, or missing people from the census would let us know they had died or family Bibles or church records or a plethora of other things that would fill in the blanks of what was not available during those times. And another avenue, as already mentioned, is military records. We have been, as a country, in many, many wars, and it is also, as a man in our nation, um, mandatory to sign up for the draft. So whether or not um, a man actually served our country um, or was just put in on the draft um, when he turned 18, each of those records would tell us plenty of information of where they're living, 
um, a description of the person, uh, their occupation at the time, and, and plenty of other resources that we wouldn't necessarily know, or it can help us verify if we are questioning the identity of a person. Marriage documents are also a really interesting piece of documentation as they're not always that easy to get because again we didn't record them on like a national or state level up until the last few decades so in that aspect we are relying on other people who upload to these databases like Ancestry or Wikitree or um, several other um, genealogy sites to upload what they have so then we can share our family tree branches and leaves and find out more about our families and how we actually are connected to other people. And marriages, of course, especially early on when deaths happen quite often, especially with large age gaps between a husband and a wife, um, a person could be married numerous times, um, and that could be recorded in, you know, a probate uh, court book um, and also would be indicated on the census records um, as well as on a census record you can find out the age though that's not always exact either they're usually within a few years of accuracy where they were living at the time if they were married who they were married to how many children they had and in earlier years you also could find out if they had had any other children that didn't make it past infancy and childhood into adult years one thing the census also really is good at telling us is occupation, which then gives us another avenue to track this family and this particular person or could give a reason as to why they moved or many other people they may know. Again, we are always looking for connections from one person to another, and that's exactly what we're going to look at when we dive into the family that lived in Wahi. Their last name was Whittington. Um, and their story actually takes place um, in the late 1800s to early 1900s. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we will get to hear about a lot of um, tragedy, unfortunately, but love, of course, and um, a record-setting incident um, that's really exciting, um, but also eventually leads in tragedy. So... Please join us for the rest of the episode in which we'll dive into one of our own family's um, history. So let's get started by looking at the Whittington family of Wahee. Any, many of the things that I'm going to be telling you today about them can be found on any of the genealogical sites that are available. MyHeritage, Ancestry.com, Wikitree, Genes United, Legacy Tree, um, all of those are great resources and one of which we do have at our local library that can help you research your ancestors and your grandparents or great-grandparents. So starting with the Whittington family, the husband's name is James Nathaniel Whittington. He lived from 1854 to 1929. He was actually from Marlboro. He was born of Levi Murray and Catherine Elizabeth Whittington. Um, in the newspaper, which is one of the things that can show inaccurate information, he was named as a Confederate veteran. But if you look at the dates of his life, and even his father's life, that's most likely not true. 
because in the Civil War he would only have been about between six and ten years old and his father uh, would have been a little too old to have joined the troops in the Confederate Army. Um, so these are the things we have to watch out for as we research our family members. So in um, as an early adult he married Melissa Hargrove and um, they had six children together um, two of which did not make it to adulthood, four did, um, but only at the time of his death were two sons were listed, at the time of her death, excuse me, um, were listed as next of kin, Newell William and Clarence A. Uh, Melissa Hargrove dies in 1912, and she's buried at Catfish Creek Cemetery in Lado, so just our neighboring county over. So not long after um, the death of his first wife, James Nathaniel went on to marry his second wife, Ella Rebecca Keffey. Um, she herself was from Wahee. Um, her entire family had been from Wahee. Her father was John Wilson and his, her mother was Martha Elizabeth Boatwright Keffey. Um, and she had a brother. Um, they all had been residing in Wahee from the early 1800s to the time of each of their deaths. Um, her father lived from 1828 to 1892, and her mother lived from 1830 to 1908. So nice long lives, um, all in Wahi. Um, and as a grown adult, she of course was close to her brother, um, whose name was John Wilson Keffey Jr. Um, he was born in 1865, and unfortunately passed away in 1911, just three short years after his mother's or their mother's death. Um, and it was of suicide and Ella Rebecca was the one that found him as it shows in a newspaper article, the obituary of his death. Um, and upon her brother's death, they buried him in the Shiloh United Methodist Church and together, um, shortly thereafter or the death of her brother that is when she married um, James Nathaniel and together they only had one daughter um, and she was born uh, sometime in the late 18 teens um, at the time of her death she was only 15 to 16 years old we don't know exactly um, but we'll get to that in just a minute um, and if you look as I said, we can look at many different documents to teach us each of these um, research points. So the census records would tell us their approximate year of birth. It would tell us if they had occupations at the time, where they were living, um, the children. And the census records, they also mention the names of each child and usually give an approximate age as well. Um, and so in 1920, when we have Ella Rebecca and James Nathaniel living together as husband and wife and have one daughter, um, Ella Rebecca's sister is actually living with them. And it shows that in the 1920 census. And the reason why we know it is Ella Rebecca's sister is because it's always, everything is determined on a census record based on the head of the household, which at the time would have always been the husband. And so on there, her relation 
is listed as sister-in-law. So that's the connections that we look for throughout all of these records. And then again, we can also at this point see some of these death records, um, it would if they occurred after 1915. So we would not have had one for um, any of their parents or uh, John Wilson Jr. Um, because all of them met their death prior to 1915. So that's something to keep in mind that's very important. Um, and, and also another interesting point um, that would verify John Wilson Jr.'s death was that he was buried at Shiloh United Methodist Church Cemetery um, right on 501 Highway. Um, and so that church would also have records of his life and his death as well. So most likely that was a family church. So you would have many records of all of the family's births, deaths, birth, um, christenings. Anything that would have happened at the church and been involved with the church um, would have been listed in those records. And those are very important records to look at, especially when you don't have access to many of the other documentation that can verify who a person is or where they come from. So if we're looking at the 1920 census, um, we see that um, their child is now probably about five or six years old. Um, her name is Annie Elizabeth Whittington. Um, and all of John, James Nathaniel, excuse me, children from his previous marriage are all grown and living um, in Latta, in Dillon County, so just the next county over. And that's an important thing to also keep in mind um, as we explore their lives. So we're going to fast forward just a few short years to 1929. And that year, unfortunately, becomes a whirlwind for the Whittington family of Wahee. Um, so I'm going to read you an article that comes actually not from our local paper, but one from Gaffney, South Carolina, which is an upstate. So again, like I mentioned earlier, looking at all surrounding newspapers, not just local ones, is important to your story. Um, so we're looking at Saturday, May 18th in 1929. The headline reads, Missing Marion Girl, First to Get On Air. Um, the subtitle says, Last of 14 slips away for, for 1600 mile trip alone in Coop. All right, so on May 16th is when this actually occurred. Uh, Miss Elizabeth Whittington, 14 year old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. J.N. Whittington of Wahee Township, is the first girl of Marion to get on the air. This young lady climbed the ladder to fame when she ran away from home Friday, taking her father's car and all of the clothing she could gather quickly and hit the road for parts unknown. Apprehensive of her safety and the anxious parents called upon the sheriff's office for aid in locating their absent daughter. With broken voice and eyes filled with tears of sorrow, the 84-year-old father begged the officers to find her for him. Deputy Furman Edwards, Marion County's brightest and most successful sleuth, replied that if she could be found, he would find Elizabeth, and quickly, too. Realizing that the roads are long and smooth and that this country is big and people with millions of 
and populated with millions of 14-year-old girls, Mr. Edwards knew that he would have to resort to unusual tactics and methods if he was to locate the missing girl before she became lost in the mazes of great city or the waste of faraway country spaces. He called upon the station WBT of Charlotte, North Carolina, asking them to broadcast the story of the runaway girl from Marion, and the radio people responded most effectively. Monday afternoon, people in all parts of the Carolinas and in other states heard the call from Miss Whittington, and during the afternoon, telephone calls began to come in to Mr. Edwards, giving each, each giving some information as to where the young lady had been seen leaving her country home a few miles west of Marion. Finally, while talking to Mr. Edwards over the phone, a Roland, North Carolina officer who had seen Miss Whittington at the place the day before exclaimed, there she goes now. I'm going to catch her. Miss Elizabeth headed the car out of Roland towards Dillon. Mr. Edwards called the Dillon officers and they, knowing that the wanted girl was coming in that direction, got all set up to capture her. Finally, they saw her coming in the new Ford coupe wide open. One officer stepped in the road to halt her, but she brushed the dust off his coattail and scared him half to death when she dashed out at 60 miles an hour without slowing up. The officers took up the chase and eventually blocked the path of the madcap Elizabeth and started her on her way back home and her sorrowing parents were so pleased. It was a happy couple again who received their daughter at the Wahee home. Elizabeth has been told by her parents why she has told her parents at this point why she left home, but the outside world only knows that she left and that she is at home again after an exciting chase and a radio directed pursuit. The car, Mr. Edwards said, has seen, has been somewhere sure as you are born. It was registered 4,500 4, miles Friday when Elizabeth left home. And when we got her back there, the speedometer registered 6,100 miles. The young lass had driven that forward about 1,600 miles from Friday to, to Monday. She admits that along the other places that she went was Charleston, going there for Roland, North Carolina. When Elizabeth is an old woman and radios as we know them and automobiles will be out of date, she will tell her grandchildren the thrilling tale of how she ran away from home back in 1929 and what furthermore her and what a furrow her absence in the search for her created. And she will add, I was the first girl from anywhere near Marion that got on the air. So while this story, this part of the story at least, ended in not so much tragedy, it did call, create a great story for Elizabeth and her parents and later on the family to joke about, as was stated in the article. And I'm sure, as a parent myself, once my child got home, well, I'm sure she got punished, they were just so relieved to have her home safe and in one piece, they probably didn't come too hard, come down on her too hard. But we won't ever know that side of the story or the reason why she left. Um, but as I said, the year 1929 is, is just a very exciting and roller coaster of a year for the Whittington family. In 1929, the same year that Elizabeth took her joyride in May of that year, um, we have when tragedy struck. In October of that year, so only five months later, um, James and Ella and their daughter Elizabeth ventured on to Dillon to visit 
some of James's older children. Um, as I mentioned, he had um, at least two surviving male children who were adults at this time and living in Latta or in Dillon County um, where their mother had resided. So they're on their way to go and visit family and on their way home is when tragedy did entreat, and, and did indeed strike the family. And we have news coverage from around South Carolina, even Greenville, South Carolina, again in upstate, not necessarily here in Marion County, covered the incident. And the headline reads, Seaboard Train Kills Three Near Dillon. And it was on October 21st, James Whittington, age 80, and Mrs. Ella Whittington, his wife, age 45, were instantly killed by a westbound seaboard airline passenger train near Dillon at five o'clock yesterday afternoon. Miss Elizabeth Whittington, age 16, was mortally injured and died within an hour. She was driving the car. The car was badly damaged and the motor thrown a distance of 75 feet. Mr. and Mrs. Whittington are survived by the following children. J.B. Whittington of Dillon, A. Whittington, and N.W. Whittington in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Mrs. J.B. Whittington of Clio. So as we see here, newspapers do give us a profound insight to the lives that our relatives have led. And while one newspaper tells us that much information, um, we have other newspapers that give us a little bit more insight. They came out just a couple of days later. Um, and it, it says, three persons killed in auto train smash. Father and mother die instantly and daughter succumbs hours later. James Whittington, 80, and his wife, Miss Ella Whittington, 45, were instantly killed by the Westbound Seaboard Airline passenger train in the suburbs of Dillon at 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Their daughter, Miss, Mrs. Miss Elizabeth Whittington, 16, was mortally injured and died within an hour. Mr. Whittington was a farmer and resided two miles east of Marion, Old Peony Road. Mr. and Mrs. Whittington and their daughter came over to Dillon on a brief visit to their son, J.B. Whittington. Five minutes after leaving the son's home, they were struck by the train. They were riding in a light coupe. Miss Elizabeth Whittington is claimed by eyewitnesses to the tragedy, was driving the car. They were traveling at a leisurely rate of speed and did not seem to be aware of the approaching train until within a few feet of the crossing. The car was seen to swerve slightly toward the left a few moments before the collision. So again, it's important to keep uh, venturing on in, in, in different days and weeks even after an incident um, and we find out even more. That's where we find out that they were going to see relatives and what he did for a living, which tells us he was a farmer. And it tells us a little more of the details that happened that day of their tragic deaths. And all three were buried together um, on a Monday, about a week later. And, and we see that even the article surrounding their deaths and their burials gives us even more information. It tells us that the three of them were placed together in the same grave and with beautiful flowers. And it was 
Their funeral was conducted by Reverend B.F. Allen, the pastor of Marian Baptist Church. So that would be different than where um, Ella's brother had been buried at the United Methodist Church, uh, quite near PB. And that Miss Ella was also, was the native of, of Wahee and well known alike within the town where she went to school throughout the county and had been a teacher for many years before she was married. And so by the looks of these, we find out not just the facts about our relatives, but also the small personal touches that allows us to actually get to know them. Um, and that's why it's so important to get as many documents and research in as many different avenues as possible to get to know our relatives and get to see a different side of our own past because how they lived their lives has definitely affected where our lives are now. So we hope that you have enjoyed this very quick rundown of one of our local families in Marion County and it shows you all the different ways and avenues that we can help you research your own family and reveal your own fascinating stories um, of your ancestry. Thank you. Thank you for listening in. Please join us again next month for our third episode. We will have a special episode just for October. If you are interested in any of today's details, newspapers, books, and library staff are available to you. Tracking your own family's history is a resource the library would love to help you with. Set an appointment today with one of our friendly staff. Don't forget, the library holds endless resources for all of your literary, historical, and mystery needs. See you soon.